Welcome, everyone, to episode 233 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, featuring David and Ben. And did you see the trailer, Ben? I did see the trailer, <laughs> David. Uh, what did you think of the old trailer there? It looks like RTD is back on form. This is uh, quite stunning and really kind of picks up where he left off back in, what, 2009-2010 time frame. Yeah, I thought it was looking incredibly vivid. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I only watched it on my phone. But yeah, it was. It looked like a million dollars. It kind of looked like a Marvel movie to me. You know, I was just about to say that. When they go to the unit skyscraper, it was like, oh yeah, that's Tony yeah. Stark's HQ in, you know, yeah. in the, all those Marvel films. <laughs> so I guess Kate Lethbridge-Stewart is Tony Stark. You heard it here first. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was good to see Beep the Meep doing some meeping sounds. That's That, that was good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks amazing. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how that. Don't know whether they're going to how. Uh, what's what am I trying to say? So how, how accurately they're going to do this? But it did look to me that they're really kind of delineating the tenth Doctor from the fourteenth Doctor, which is absolutely as it should be. Very much so. And with Beep the Meep, I guess Miriam Margulis is doing the voice for her. She is. Yeah, you, you're aware of Miriam Margulis. Margulis. But she's like the queen of comedy, isn't she? Uh, she's, just, she's just like a constant. She's like one of those national treasure people, basically. Mm-hmm. She's just been a constant for many, many years. She was in Blackadder and uh, she's just a lot of stage work. Uh, she's famously foul-mouthed. Mm-hmm. Is that still something people say? Anyway, um, she likes to swear a lot, which is funny because she's like mm-hmm. in her, you know, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s. She has had a very bawdy life, mm-hmm. which she likes mm-hmm. to talk about. And she's a larger lady, but she has a thin, squeaky voice. So, you know, perfect mm-hmm. for um, Beat the Meat. And continuation of the gay agenda. I believe she's a lesbian. Uh, she's had encounters across the sexual spectrum. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I think certainly lesbian is what she is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, her, her autobiography is full of her having sex with people. A tell-all. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, Toymaker. He's no longer the celestial Toymaker, apparently. Which I think is a very wise... Yeah, that was slightly <laughs> Wise racist. decision to drop, yes, just, just slightly. <laughs> a little bit racist. So that's good. Yeah, yeah no, so yeah, so I'm still... My theory of, about this is this is all these three 60 and 60th anniversary specials are all a fiction that has been created by the toy maker. Hmm. And um, at the end, we're just going to re- well, we will reset in some way and uh, Jody will regenerate into shooty. Hmm. That would be an interesting way of doing the anniversary, the, the three-part anniversary story. I think, I, so, so this, again, don't, don't quote, well, do quote me, because we run a podcast. Um, yeah, these, these three anniversary stories are literally made-up stories by the toy maker, mm-hmm. and he is, he or she, or them, or whoever the toy maker is, is... Uh, is <laughs> well, he's Neil Patrick Harris. Exactly, he could be anybody. It's Doogie, Doogie <laughs> Howser. Um Right. <laughs> um, uh, he is, uh, as he's taken from the comic strip. Yeah. He's basically, he's adapting stories from, from Doctor Who Weekly um, and plonking a made-up Doctor into them. That's what I think's going on. I think that's perfect. Going with uh, Disney money and you have access now effectively to the Marvel Universe. It is kind of that uh, sideways in time that it was part of the original remit of Doctor Who. You can go forward and backwards and sideways in time. And what better way than... Toy maker and sort of like the land of fiction. Right, right. Again, obviously, the toy maker and the land of fiction are two separate things. Have they ever been conflated in? Yes. I feel they might have been conflated in some in some one of the Virgin novels or something. Anyway, maybe who knows? I haven't read it. All Perhaps I'm more of a big finish. Perhaps. Um, but yeah, I think the the toy maker has got access to the land of fiction or vice versa. And uh, this is uh, this mm-hmm. is what's going on. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris is great and is an excellent toy maker, and he's a, just a really good actor. Yep. And obviously he was in, um, he was in uh, It's a Sin, so him and uh, 
and uh, RTD have got form. Yep, and a gay actor too. So I think, I think this is part of what uh, RTD yeah. is doing is a uh, very, very much featuring diversity, I guess, or not not just doing uh, straight straight actors, I guess. <laughs> This time around. Yeah, and I think we, we've, we've made this point before, but um, mm. I think if the Not My Doctor crowd didn't like the diversity of the Chibnall era, just wait till <laughs> this era, because they they're going right. to lose their shit, as the saying goes. <laughs> yeah, I was reading reading in Wikipedia that Harris is, was the first openly gay man to host the Academy Awards, and then if we go back to um, Margolis, she was one of the first women, or the first woman, to drop the F-bomb on uh british television so yeah no yes yeah, yeah. yeah. But, she, like you said she likes nothing more than to drop f-bombs on people any last thoughts it was a long trailer it was full of incident uh it's you know and again i mean i don't want to keep on kind of razzing on the chibnall era but you know oh, great we've got a trailer and it shows it gives us an idea what might what might, what might happen you know it's not just the doctor like staring at the screen or uh, out of the, or mm-hmm. at something that's out of shot and then some plinky plonky music on the background and then like a fade, right. you know, it's, this is like a full balls to the wall, full mm-hmm. action, full action trailer with a lot of stuff going on and a lot of exciting, like, Ooh, ooh that might be a thing that's going to happen. And we never, we haven't really got that the past mm-hmm. three, four, five yeah. years or so. Not really even, the trailers during the Moffat era were more cerebral. <laughs> if, yeah, which if, doesn't if I, if which that, doesn't help. Basically, it doesn't it doesn't make it better. It just makes it well. Mm-hmm. It's a trailer, um, and we know the show is going mm-hmm. to be on. So, if all your trailer is doing is telling us it's on and it's got the Doctor in it, we know that already. What mm-hmm. we don't know is like what are the exciting things that are going to happen in the show, mm-hmm. and that's. That's what we want to see. I think it hit a lot of the high notes. It definitely showed off Catherine Tate's, uh, you know, being Donna, being all bullshit. And it's definitely, I think, RTD is wanting another crack at resolving the difficulty between the Doctor and Donna's send-off. I'm going to assume he's going to do something that I always used to really, really like about RTD is that he's not afraid to completely kind of rewrite and negate a plot point that he's written himself into and he usually does that very well I, mean, I think perhaps unlike Moffat who used to tie himself up in knots and then go like uh, sorry yeah okay bye um, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, we never really know what the resolution was but you know RTD does that too but always comes up with a kind of click of the fingers like and then it was that thing that, that, that was the thing that happened And mm-hmm. I mean the example I always think of is the kind of reversal of the master having taken over the planet um, in um, whatever the second season of what was the ending story of the second season of Tenant? I can't remember now. But anyway, that one. Last of the Time Lords? That's the one. Yes, exactly. Okay. Where, like everyone comes together and they sing a song and like, wait, it's all done. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I, I like that. I like that. He does a good job with that kind of thing. I don't know if I'm reading too much into the trailer, but do you think RTD is going to kill off Donna Noble? No. Okay. I don't. <laughs> All right. Okay. I don't. Um, I think he likes the character too much. Mm. Uh, I think he likes. I think he likes Catherine Tate too much, mm-hmm. or too much. I mean, he think he likes Catherine Tate, and he mm-hmm. likes likes the character of Donna. And I don't think. I don't think he's going to do that. He's not really. Is he a character killing off person? Yes, he is. Well, but he not is, major yes. characters. Uh, it, but he will. He has no qualms about creating a really likable character, Linda with a Y, for example, and just True. offing them. <laughs> so, if, I mean, if that does happen, my plea would be that it isn't some kind of long drawn out thing. That it's like a Linda with a Y thing, um, which I think mm-hmm. I much prefer. Um, one of the things I didn't care for, which for the RTD era, was the was his introduction of the long extended single episode regeneration story, where you know the Doctor mm-hmm. like traipses around saying goodbye to everybody, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before regenerating. Now it should be it's uh, regeneration has got as as again I think as we've said as I have said before, regeneration has become this like giant drawn out drama. Where I like how it was in the olden days, where the Doctor died and then turned into another Doctor, and then was straight into the new story. Mm-hmm. 
Charlie. Yeah. Well, we're going to get a lot of Doctor Who this year. Uh, in comparison, we're going to get the three anniversary interlinked stories, I'm guessing, featuring the Toymaker, I think, at, as the main antagonist. And then at Christmas time, we're going to have Gatwa's premiere with a, a Christmas special. Yeah. So it should be fantastic. Exactly. And for our British fans, they may know this already, if you would like to go down to Western Supermare on the North Somerset, North North Devon, North Somerset coast of Western Supermare, um, the museum there is having an exhibition, the biggest exhibition ever assembled of Doctor Who art. Ooh. Yeah. Are you going to be around for that? No, have you seen it? I'm not. Boo. Don't remind me. I'm not. No, it's, it opens mm. in late October. And I think mm. runs until mid-January. So it's, it's got a pretty good run. Um, but mm-hmm. I am not going to be around for it. So I yeah, am that's kind of irritated. But um, I, I, I'm sure there'll be images of it posted online. So maybe mm-hmm. they'll extend it. Museums are in such a dire state at the moment. Um, well, everywhere, but particularly over here. They, they might extend it for longer. But yeah. No, so I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a, at least one friend who's, who's lending work to the show. So huh. yeah. Excellent. Yes. Um, this, this 60th anniversary, I I thought the 50th was kind of too much, to be honest. Uh, and I actually like the not low key, but just kind of, okay, we've got like a special block of shows for the 60th. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're doing for it. And I, I like that. And there's, you know, an exhibition and that kind of stuff. It, it was too much of a mm-hmm. kind of too much of a kind of multimedia jamboree, I felt, for the 50th. Having not seen the three episodes yet, I am liking the idea that we're going to have three interlinked stories rather than just one big yes. epic uh, day of the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, and I think that gives the that gives the anniversary more room to breathe. In sort of my my yeah. opinion, yeah, 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 totally agree with yeah. that. And it's more who it's more it's more 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 minutes of new who. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> that can only be a good thing in our opinion, right? I would hope so. Yes, absolutely, can only be a good thing. Yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. So, good. yeah, uh, those are. I think those are my final thoughts. Yep, I'm good. Shall we move on to our main topic today? Why not? Main to- and what what is our main topic this week? Dave? We are going to continue on for a look at set designers and sets, and for the 1980s. What are our top five sets from Doctor Who? And uh, I think you, by accident, uh, in the 1970s, brought up a 1980s story. So I think it's uh, incumbent on you to go first. It is incumbent on me. I made a, I made a, I made a, I made an error that should have got me sacked from this podcast, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) When we were talking about the 70s, I brought up a show from the 80s. Like a fool, mm. like someone who doesn't know about mm. Doctor Who might do. Though someone who <laughs> well, do- time works. <laughs> so, though someone who doesn't know about Doctor Who wouldn't know about this story anyway. Um, so I guess that's not true. No. Uh, Keeper of Traken. Yeah. Like it very much. It's a story that I really did not like at the time. In fact, I very much disliked it at the time. Uh, but it has really grown on me over the years. And the kind of lushness of that set design, I think really works and kind of leans into this idea of truck and being this kind of, you know, haven of sort of peace and prosperity. Um, and, you know, then like kind of evil lands in the you know, garden of Eden, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, it just works really nicely. Um, I like that the Melka, and this may not, this is maybe the costume designer rather than the uh, designer. Design. So the designer was a man called Tony Burrow. Um, okay. The Melker is based on a 20th century, very famous 20th century sculpture by Umberto Bocchioni. He was an Italian futurist uh, sculptor from the 1920s, uh, Floriat 1920s. Um, and mm-hmm. I like that. And that kind of fits into the kind of, you know, designed, kind of beauteous. It's a very highly polished kind of bronze sculpture. So you can see it in the in the Tate Gallery if you're if you're ever in London, but that's what the Melker is, hmm. is, is based on. And uh like like the costuming, love the kind of thing that the keeper seats is, um seats himself in. I love that kind of chamber the big and uh yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. my uh like it very much. What I like about the Keeper of Tarkin sets is how like the council room where the keeper materializes leads into kind of an antechamber, which then leads into the garden. So there's cohesion between the sets, like the corridors seem to lead to Tremus's residence. And you're almost on location somewhere. Right. That things just fit together. 
And I think that's really a nice way of encapsulating the kind of cozy feel of the Keeper of Tarkin. Yeah, and, and actually, that's a really good point. One of the one of the things I sort of discovered as I was thinking about this um, task that we had set ourselves for this particular podcast, of course, mm-hmm. going into the 80s, it seems to me you're getting a lot more kind of on-location style filming yep. and maybe kind of sets become almost less of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. The Trakan feels like a location rather than, than obviously stuff in a studio. And there's at least one story that I did not choose as a good set design where there's a jungle that is obviously a studio because you can see the studio floor um i'm looking at you the one with the snake and uh <laughs> this the you know the garden looks it's, it's a garden it looks like a garden to me mm-hmm. they do it very well and mm-hmm. go in and out of it and uh yeah it's a uh, very very plausibly achieved mm-hmm. and you know it has it's one of those store well there's another one actually on my list but you know it's one of those stories where well, reason why I didn't like it as a kid, you know, the doctor, as as I think, as we we as you know, contemporary showrunners, really kind of a well, certainly Moffat and well, I think all of them have realised you know, Doctor Who is a fantasy show. It's not really science fiction. Yeah, you know, this this right. about spaceships and guns um, and monsters. Um, it's a it's it's a fantasy, and anything can happen. And Traken is a it's a it's a mate it's 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 obviously a made up thing mm-hmm. and uh, I think the set really, it's a storybook setting storybook setting that's exactly exactly what I was what I, what I was trying to say yeah yeah hundred mm-hmm. percent yeah yeah good well I think I'm just going to continue on with uh, Tony Burrow's story oh. which might be controversial Warriors of the Deep his set work for Warriors of the Deep I think is fantastic it's multi level it incorporates a reactor cooling tank so you have water in that I think the underseas sets for the Silurians and the Sea Devils are good I think it works really well. It feels very 1980s, but I think it uh, it's it's of its time. And it uh, this was being filmed, I think, uh, recorded at uh, originally at BBC Television Studio, and uh, Margaret Thatcher Ooh. called for a snap election, and they were forced to uh, abandon filming in Ealing, and they went to uh, Shepperton Studios for the. <laughs> for some of the some of the work too so uh, i i really like what tony burroughs did with the multi-level sets and for the sea basis especially it to me it feels expansive and uh like a military futuristic uh base i absolutely agree with you um <laughs> uh, warriors of the deep was on my short list yeah before i kind of then honed in on my actual list mm-hmm you know, over the years, obviously, Warriors of the Deep has got some problems. Yes. And, which is fine, because there is, is there a Doctor Who series that doesn't have at least one problem in it? I think mm-hmm. not. And I think, you know, over the years, the sort of fan wisdom on Warriors of the Deep is like, it's overlit. Like, uh, the writer wanted mm. to be like undersea with kind of dripping submarine aliens kind of sure. under, you know, metal tubes and stuff um it right. really looks like a futuristic under the ocean missile base um mm-hmm. that's what i think that would look like yep. and they do it yep. very very well and if you compare the sea devil's base oh it's not really a base it's more of a ship anyway if you compare yeah. the, the lair of the eo scenes um with mm-hmm. the kind of the lair of the sea devils in the original sea devils which is basically a room with kind of black drapes Obvi- <laughs> obviously 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 it's better right it is obviously better and um i love um, we're getting off set design here you know i love the I, I love the 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 concept of everyone's wearing kind of very kind of stylish makeup which a makes it look like it's from the 80s uh, but also yeah. B makes it look like make it makes it look like it's from the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always reminded of Robots of Death whenever I kind of watch slash think about um, what Warriors of the Deep, where again everyone wears you know outlandish makeup. So yeah, it's it's a it's it is a, I think it's an underrated story, uh, and I think people dismiss mm-hmm. it because the writer didn't like it or the way that they'd staged it, and I think people dismiss it because of the ridiculous monster. Mm-hmm. And various other ridiculous things about it, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good story, and I think the setting is absolutely perfect. Yep. It's like Moonbase Alpha or something. It feels very Anderson. Yeah, it feels futuristic, yes. and it still seems futuristic. But it's it's that eighties 
like you say, makeup and members only right. jackets type uh, futuristic. <laughs> yes, it feels like 1980s, but having seen this near broadcast time, this is what future looked like back when it was broadcast. When I saw this, I was going, well, now we're talking. This is base under siege. This is the kind of Doctor Who I really like. So I've always had a soft spot for Warriors of the Deep. And really, I think the weak part is the Merca. But then again, considering everything else, that's minor. It is minor. And, and you know, obviously the production crew were aware of the problems with the Merca. It's not really on that much. You know, I mean, it's, right. you know, they really go, okay, yeah, right. And then don't really film it that much, which is, which I think right. is good. You know, and all those gantries, the pool is amazing, but all the kind of gantries and stuff, you, you could easily imagine Duran Duran stepping out and like playing like, you know, hungry like a wolf <laughs> or like girls on film right. or something. It's the eighties. Um, and it's also mm-hmm. the future. And the eighties were way more futuristic than now. And that's why it works so well. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So well done, Your Tony turn. Burrow. He gets two. He gets two yeah. designs. Back to back. Back to back. <laughs> uh, you want me to give you another one? Yeah. All right. What's your number two? Uh, it's way past midnight where David is right now, so we're trying to keep the podcast on time. Um, uh, Warriors Gate. Oh, snap. I'm going, oh, no, another snap. That is my number one set from the 1980s. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. It's unequivocal. It is very, very good indeed. And if my internet searches are correct, Graham Story also did the Horns of Lyman, which is a another yes, he did. To be honest, yep. Um, yeah, the kind of void is good. We've got gantries again for the spaceship. Yep. Perhaps it might be the Sisters of Mercy that come out to play <laughs> um, on those gantries rather than Duran Duran this time round. And the the, uh, the the actual gate itself, the kind of ruins mm-hmm. are brilliant. And um, the CSO is is very, very well realized and completely otherworldly and faultless, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in terms of set design. Absolutely faultless. There is not there is nothing that is a problem with the sets on Warriors Gate. So this is when the production team all works together really well. True. It really shows on the screen. So you have visual effects by Matt Irvin. So you have the model of the privateer, the spaceship, and, and the gate, the ruined gate, the gothic gate. But then you also have director Paul Joyce, who got in trouble for shooting up into the gantry, in up into the lighting lighting stack, which caused undue uh meltdowns on set he that he he got fired for that oh i didn't know he got that rehired really. because that, yeah it was a big fallout between jnt and jnt fired him and then he hired him back like right away so like, well, who? else to do it fair all right right but paul joyce the director went to powis p-o-w-y-s powis powis uh, powis 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 wales and took photos of powis castle and those are what are used then for the other side of the gateway. And like you said, the CSO is chef kiss perfect. Yes. They get the perspectives right. And it is otherworldly. I'm just going to steal what you said because it, it is, it is the director, the designer and visual effects all realizing this vision for a really hard, I think Doctor Who fans still have a hard time with Warrior's Gate, understanding what's going on, and there's not a lot of uh, action. We were just talking about the 60th anniversary trailer. You could not make a trailer like that because it's it's more a thought piece right. of what's going on right, right. In, in Warrior's Gate. You have the banqueting hall in various different stages in time, whether it's the doctor sitting at a banquet eating and then zapping forward in time where it's in a state of decay. Uh, uh, oh, and, uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, and with, uh, with cobwebs and empty plates and bowls. So everything works majestically in it and especially focusing around the black and white images from Powell's castle and the uh ruins of the banqueting hall and the gateway those those are 
perfect. Uh, Doctor Who sets and works so well with the story at the nexus between E space and N space. Yeah, and again, it's you know, it's a fantasy story. There's no real science in this, even though you know, <laughs> Bidmead is really trying to make it sciencey. <laughs> Bidmead is really trying to up the science element. It's not science; it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to amplify again the CSO thing. The use of those Paris Castle shots. It's obviously CSO, but this is a fantasy place that the TARDIS crew have found themselves. Or you know, it's they're walking through a fantastic realm. So the oddness of the CSO tells you that they're walking in somewhere that is a, a different place. It's it's a, it's a right. it's really the only time that CSO has actually worked for me because it uses the oddness of the CSO to make the place that they are seem odd. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's not, it's not the, you know, it's not the kitchen, um, from, from <laughs> right. the Terror of the Ortons, um, where they just couldn't be bothered to build a kitchen set. Yeah. If they just went to on location for those scenes in Paolo's castle and, and filmed it in black and white, it just wouldn't have worked. Exactly. You need that flatness exactly. of a two dimensional picture. And then the color with the Thals, Romana, K9, the Doctor, all behind the mirror, all behind the gateway, that's what sells it. If you went on location and filmed it somehow, it just wouldn't have the same visual impact. And to me, why this would be my top one of the 1980s is it's because it's such a unique look uh, honestly it's a, it's a bit of a cheat because it's mostly down to paul joyce's uh, directional vision but it also ties in with uh, stories uh, graham stories design work and matt irvin's visual effects so uh, you know it's like robots of death when you have most of the team working together boo the lighting but most of the team working together you come up with something that looks fantastic absolutely agreed 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 yep Yep. True, true, true. Yep. All right. Well, that was uh, a snap, but I, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with my next one. Okay. Uh, um, I know you're not going to be a fan of this one, but this was, uh, oh, okay. I, I struggled to find uh, stories in the 1980s for what I thought were great sets because I think the money was running out and the money didn't go as far and things looked a bit cheaper. So where things look good i'm going with uh colin green who was the designer for enlightenment ah snap enlightenment (laughs) another one okay we we really are we really do work together on this podcast um (laughs) the 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 difficulty is we had the same opinions um but anyway yeah there we go so the sailing ships that the Eternals used are a bit of a stretch, uh, you know, dimensionally. They seem much larger than I think they actually would be. Right. Um, if you, but, you, they're, they're kind of larger than sailing ships in space actually would be. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. <laughs> well, as their Earth-bound uh, counterparts would be, put it that True. way. True. Okay, fair, fair point, yeah. But I think uh, with like uh, Mariner Striker vessel, the, the Edwardian racing yacht, I think works very well as the initial set. And then you have, I think, the only other set really is the pirate set uh, with um, Linda Barron. Right. And that works equally well. And you can distinguish between the two. Now, there's not a lot of set going on between it other than the vacuum the the third set i guess is the vacuum shield room where turlo has uh has his encounter with the black guardian so it's a very limited number of sets it's all sailing ships it's mostly redressed between one and the other ship but it does convey a nautical theme to it a, a nautical flair and it works for the for the the ultimate scene where you have the face off between the Doctor with Enlightenment and the Black and Light Guardian. It works well for the story. Absolutely. It's another story that actually has grown on me, and it's grown on me since, I think possibly since we last talked about it. Probably, if if you're liking it this time, yeah. Yeah, no, because I've watched it since. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should watch this again. Um, and it mm-hmm. is, it's another fantasy story. And my memory back to when I was a teenager, this is why I hated it, because like, well, where right. are the guns and the monsters and the spaceships? Yeah, okay, maybe they're spaceships, but they're the wrong kind of spaceship. Um, (laughs) 
but you know it does it really really well and it it sells that they're ships and that dovetails well into the fact that they are actually ships and it's weirdly convincing yeah which is when i, I say perfect. weirdly convincing because it's not a convince you know on the face of it it's a very unconvincing idea mm-hmm. so colin green who i believe according to my internet researches also did death to the daleks you are correct sir i love death to the daleks it's brilliant mm-hmm. so it works excellently and everything kind of dovetails nice i'm maybe repeating myself here dovetails nicely into selling the conceit of a sh- of a race in space between actual yes. ships that live in space mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I think when the budgets are tight doing something that's really within the capabilities of bbc which is edwardian type sets true spot on you know you you, yep. you probably have the flats that you can pull out of storage and assemble right. it and the, the set dressings and etc so it's an economical well-presented uh, telling of this story so uh, yeah yeah yeah. Kudos to Colin Green. And I'm going to agree with your with your initial statement that it becomes harder and harder through the 80s to hmm. to identify good setage. Um, yes. The other interesting thing that I sort of discovered it it's less and less there are fewer and fewer designers who who work on more than one story. Mm-hmm. And my take from that is that the showrunner, um, JNT, was unable to kind of, you know, pick someone that he wanted and was being more and more kind of given people who were working already a little bit. So, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, there are successful sets, but again, you know, clicking on the what else did they design for Doctor Who, it becomes there are fewer and fewer people who designed more than right. one, as far as I can see. Right. Well, like with Green here, he only did Death of the Daleks back in the early 70s. Exactly. So he probably wasn't clamoring to get back to Doctor Who and probably drew the short straw. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. This is a BBC designer who is allocated to a show by the people at the BBC who allocate designers to shows, Mm -hmm. not through the request of the showrunner. Mm -hmm. And again, I sort of get the impression that JNT maybe wasn't that interested in things like design and sets and that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't seem to have been a an interest of his um, mm-hmm. as de facto showrunner, a- actual producer. Um, so that yeah. becomes sort of that becomes a theme um, because going on to and I think it's my turn, right? Yes, go for it. I guess so. Um, is uh, I'm picking Revelation of the Daleks. Ah, okay, excellent. Alan Spaulding, who, as far as I can see, didn't design any other Doctor Who. Nope. Another very convincing environment. It's another. You know, Netcross is a fantasy environment in some ways. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. the Daleks and Davros. Uh, it, it works well with the Daleks because you're not really expecting. It's not a pl- well. I am expecting the Daleks because it's called Revelation of the Daleks. Um, but it's it's right. an environment where you wouldn't really expect to see Daleks, and right. the fact that they come bombing in in their full eighties white and gold livery. Um, and I'm excited about that, right? Because, of course, as, as our listener will know, um, the latest uh, B&M uh, character options Dalek release is Revelation of the Daleks. And they have done an excellent job in actually making some Daleks that look like they're from uh, Revelation of the Daleks. So I'm, I'm excited about that particular story right now. Is it come with a Davros with all the Mardi Gras beads and stuff like it that? It does not come with <laughs> Mardi Gras Davros. Sadly, <laughs> it's it's just two Necros Daleks. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, and neither does it come with an invisible, uh, an invisible see-through Dalek either. Yeah, they missed a trick with that one. That would have been that would be cool good because I mean, they, they, they have. I mean, because for the uh, a couple of releases ago, they did Planet of the Daleks and they did an invisible Dalek for that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to kind of invisibilize the new Dalek design that they've done you know to represent the the new casings that were produced for well from revelation on well yes basically from revelation onwards you'd have to put something inside it which i think would be tricky but anyway maybe we'll see i mean they could easily do that set and i'd like to see that set hmm, maybe i'll give them um, what's his name to call I'm, it's too early in the morning i forget his <laughs> name al Dewar, that's it anyway the 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 interior of the 
effectively a space funeral home brilliantly i think realized mm-hmm. davros's crypt um again i think very convincingly done and all the other kind of layers and things that people have around the funeral home very nicely done it's 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 a mm-hmm. it's a pleasing look to me it has a very distinct 80s feel too with the uh, Eleanor Braun's uh her character's office and executive suite i guess would be and then alexi sales dj character's uh studio it feels of its time and well it should i think our our age group has some nostalgia for our parents uh, 1960s time frame but the 1980s has some pretty groovy <laughs> to use a 60s word design elements and they're on display in Revelation of the Daleks with the the non-Davros, non-Necropolis uh, settings. So, you know, good on the designer for incorporating that. It might be hard not to escape the 80s when you're designing in the 80s, but I think it works within the confines of the story very well. And I think, as I'm going to amplify your point again, I just think, as we've always said, you know, what's great about Doctor Who is that, you know, it's this core sample of pretty much everything from in Britain from the 1960s all the way till the, you know, 2023. And the sets from the 60s could only be from the 60s. The sets from the 70s could only be from the 70s. And the sets mm-hmm. from the 80s look as though they're from the 80s, which is exactly yep. how they should look. Um, I didn't yep. like them at the time because I, really did, I didn't care for the 80s at all when I was in the 80s. <laughs> um, I would much rather have been in the 70s, which is a decade I, I much preferred. Right. But it's, yeah, they look, they, to my eye now, they, it, it all looks great. It's like, yeah, okay, it's the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and again, you know, you could see, uh, I'm trying to think of another 80s band now. Um, I don't know, the Thompson Twins or, or something. Um, or Tapau performing, uh, their latest single on the ascending steps of the, of the Necros funeral home. Super. Eternal Repose. All right. Okay. Uh, it's your turn. To be honest with you, I really only have Four. I do have a fifth one, to be fair, but I was really struggling. Oh God, for... yeah, this was a hard assignment. Um, I also, mm-hmm. I also struggled, which is, which means that I think set design in the eighties was a struggle. With Warriors Gate being my number one, this is my second favorite of the nineteen eighties, and this is going to be the greatest show in the galaxy. Uh... <laughs> so, designer David Lasky, yep. and uh, uh, this was originally to be filmed in Television Center Studio, and BBC Television Center was closed due to asbestos being discovered, and the management decided they had to do abatement ASAP, and so this was uh, moved to a car park, parking lot, car park in BBC L Street in Hertfordshire, and uh, I think... If this was filmed in the television studio, it would not look as great as no. it does being filmed in a car park. It is the fact that it is in a tent in a car park with the billowing tunnels and whatnot that they're using for corridors. That's what makes this a great set. It's by accident. I think David Lasky and JNT and and, and and the director, Alan Waring, really salvaged this story and combined it well with the location filming. Uh, I guess you do have a set that, that uh, Lasky has. You have a few sets. You have the sets where the gods of Ragnarok are looking on, uh, in kind of that stone arena. You also have the the main circus floor with the greatest show of the galaxy in it. You also have the ticket office and the Android, the robot repair shop, and and then a bus, a hippie bus. But what sells it the best is the billowing tunnels that were there because more or less accidentally, because they had to film in a tent rather than in a studio. Agreed. And this, this is why it is also on, on my list. I mean, in some ways it feeds into the kind of meta uh, meta narrative of the of the greatest show in the galaxy in general. You know, greatest show of the galaxy is Doctor Who, and right. you know, Doctor Who's being judged, etc., 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 etc. As we all know, the the story is a is a metaphor, and we have a set that is not a set. It's a set that's on location. It's a location shoot, but it's also a set. It's a set that they built on location, but the location is not location. It's a car park at a film studio and that all that all just totally works basically 
Um, yeah. It works thematically for the for the story as a whole. And, you know, obviously it was a pain in the ass at the time, I'm quite certain. But they saved the show. You mm-hmm. know, they didn't go like, okay, Sharda, right, we're not going to do it. And then we have, like, endless remounts of Sharda, which never seem to finish. Um, right. Uh, they said, okay, yep, show must go on. Show must go on. It's the greatest show in the galaxy. We'll Let's get a tent, and we'll film it in a tent. And, it, again, that mm-hmm. works perfectly. And it's amazing, really, that they could pull it off because there was no soundproofing because it was in a tent. So they had street noises, airplanes going overhead, car traffic, whatever. It just there was the added pressure that you're on location but you're in a set and you just had to kind of roll with it and it must have been hell for alan waring to direct it because it of the all this adversity but again jnt didn't want to have a shot around his neck effectively and so he he and Lasky came up with this idea to film it in a car park in a big tent, and it works. The show must go on. Exactly, the show must go on. Yeah. So, which you so know, again, perfect. sort of sort of feeds into JNT just being a showman. Uh, um, mm-hmm. He's an impresario um, rather than anything else. And you know, the important thing is that we do the show. Doesn't really matter what the show looks like. Um, the mm-hmm. important thing is that the show happens. And uh, you, again, as you point out, the fact that they've got ambient noise and et cetera, et cetera, it's like a real circus. You go to the circus, yeah. it's in a tent. I don't know the last time you went to the circus, but I actually went to the circus quite recently. And mm. yeah, it's a circus. That's what a circus looks like. In that way, it's absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, I actually think it's really interesting that, you know, we have three snaps in our in our five... Mm-hmm. Our, five, our, our pick of five 1980 sets. That's kind of crazy. But actually, as we've been kind of talking about, completely understandable. Do you have any more? Did did we cover all yours? We did, yep. Yeah. With and Warrior's Gate, Enlightenment, Revelation, and Greatest Show. I have my final one. And this, this okay. obviously, there won't be a snap. And, okay, it's not planet of evil jungle by any any means we've already danced around it being a, a pretty jonky jungle set no you've but not you've not gone for it i have gone for it kinda designer malcolm thornton what? okay and i'm placing the blame not so much at thornton's feet but script editor eric sayward who should have caught this and where the problem with the jungle set is is when you had to have that extra vehicular survey ex- exploration mechanical unit that Adric gets trapped in. And it had to roll over the studio floor. What can you do? You couldn't disguise it. You put down leaves and painted it. But it is what it is. And it is because of a design limitation imposed on the writer with this weird mechanical device now if you look at the jungle scenes where tegan underneath the chimes where she falls asleep thornton has sod down there it it looks like an actual location now jnt probably should have tried to film this in a botanical garden maybe gone to queue or something it would have been better like with full circle where you were filming outside but for what the limitations that Thornton had to work with, with the jungle, I think he does pretty well for an indoor set. Now, where I think the set is really good is, and this is again, probably with um, Christopher Bailey's writing, is when Tegan is being possessed or being uh, having the uh, psychological drama with the Mara, with the all black and the overlit. That does work well. Yeah, that does. That work works well. really well. Within the uh, the military establishment inside the base, that works well. Um, the cave, I think, also works well. So there are bits of 
kind of set design and lighting and direction that work really well. I know uh, director Peter Grimway was really unhappy with the forest, with the jungle set, because it's very obviously a studio. And I know that Grimway lost a lot of time and he lost shots because he was concerned that there's no way to effectively disguise that he's shooting on a studio floor. And he kept doing more leaves, more leaves. And it, it just doesn't. It doesn't mask it. In fact, it. I think it almost amplifies it. And perhaps a, a better choice would have been filming from the ankle up or something and not showing the ground. But it is a disaster. But I feel for Malcolm Thornton, the designer, and I think where this should have been on location in a botanical garden. Right. It wasn't. And he did his best. And where the studio floor is obvious is where you had to have that darn exploration thing. I forget what its name is. An EV something. It has an X. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I, you know, I was focused on the sets, not the props. But that's where I think the limitations come in. I think that I went to this for my fifth place choice is how... I think some of the sets are just really not that great in the 1980s. And this right. is kind of kind of why. The money was running out. Some things that should have been on location weren't on location. And the designers did the best they could. Yeah, and I, see, you know, I, I would compare, and ironically there's a designer here who did that, I would compare um, uh, Kinder with, uh, with Death to the Daleks, where, you know, it, it's as if, the show had forgotten the problem of having Daleks on location because that device is essentially a Dalek of some kind. Hmm, yes, true. It has to glide along a flat floor. Daleks originally, you know, they lived in a city made of metal and that's how they moved around. Um, so you have to have a flat floor. And in death, you know, they, as you say, they shot from the feet up. Um, if Daleks have feet, which they kind of don't. And they had tram lines that they literally pushed those things down. Now, one can imagine Kinder could have gone to, you said, could have gone to a botanical garden um, and they could have laid down, you know, the tram lines, you know, the camera, camera movement lines and kind of pushed the device down those lines or whatever. I don't know how they would have done it. Yeah, they did it in the Santarin experiment with the robot. Absolutely. Yep, can be done. But again, I think as you're pointing out, you know, the money was running out. JNT was having to allocate uh, resources where he felt that they were best allocated. You know, this is a dreamy story. The kind of movement device is just one plot point. Um, unfortunately, because it was just, even though it's just one plot point, it sets the tone for the entire story where it's not set in the jungle. Maybe, you know, maybe a rewrite to say that, you know, Kinder's jungle is, you know, on a kind of quartz plane or something. You know, it's an alien jungle and the ground is smooth for space reasons rather than disguise reasons. Yep. Who knows? It kind of yeah. it takes me out of the action pretty quickly. The problem, I think, okay, yes, the, the jungle sets are bad. But Thornton could design. He designed Legopolis. He was a designer for Five Doctors. He's a designer for Planet of Fire, all, all with extensive uh, lo location work. But there wasn't location work in Kinda. And Grimwade, with his shot selections, the opening shot where he's looking at the, uh, the research facility through the the branches that works fine but then the very next shot he has is tegan's walking outside the tardis and he's filming down from a crane or from an elevated camera angle so you see the top of the tardis roof and then tegan walking on the ground and you you immediately see that you're on the studio floor and i think a lot of the blame if you're given lemons as a director you got to figure out how to make the best of it and he didn't. He accentuated the studio floor. And all his shots seemed to focus in on that studio floor. It's, it's like he saw how bad it was and he couldn't get his mind around how do I not show it. And that's what I think the good directors do. How do I not show something that's bad? 
and accentuate the things that are really good. Because you'd have the same problem if you went on location. There's going to be a telephone pole somewhere in your beautiful jungle. Or right. or like with uh, Towns Wang Chang, somebody parks their uh, sports car in it. What do you do? You pile it up with hay and you disguise it. You, you have to think, what's the worst can do? Well, how can I work around it? And I don't see Grim Wade working around it. And if he filmed higher up, those were actual plants. Instead, he was obsessed about the floor, and it just shows in shot after shot after shot that, you know, the giant snake is getting bigger and bigger. Oh, we're looking down at it rather than up at we're it. Looking down. At, at the floor. Right. And it's, uh, so uh, it, it's not the greatest jungle set. There are other parts of those the, the Kinda sets that work really well. But with uh, Warrior's Gate, where the designer and the director are in sync, Kinda definitely they didn't have each other's back and it shows and the quality isn't as good visually on the screen. Yeah. 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 They 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 gave him lemons and he and he said, Here's some lemons. Yep. He did not really attempt to make any kind of effective lemonade from those lemons. Um yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And uh yeah, it's it's uh you know, it's a classic story. It's a story that you know that is uh has a sequel, um, you know, it has a returning monster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a good story, but there should have been some kind of rewrite, in my opinion, to either make that object, the, the, the extravehicular, whatever it is, object, um, be less of a, less of a Dalek or make the jungle be more of a studio. And I think that only could have been achieved through scripts. So anyway, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our that's our top five, I guess. It's uh, three overlaps, so slim pickings in the 1980s. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we have those overlaps. I think that's fascinating. Yes, indeed. So thank you for listening to episode 233 of wow. the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been trying to find excellence in the 1980s in set design with Ben. And I've been hungry like the wolf with David. <laughs> Uh, not her name was Rio and she danced upon the sand. <laughs> no, we're not even girls on film. Uh, hungry like the wolf. All right. There you go. All right. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> John Pert, we third doctor start lash up going here. Um, <laughs> sure I got, got all my internet and my, and my plugins, and I've got a spoon balance on top of a wine bottle, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>